The Lifestylist, episode 39, featuring John Gray. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. Today is January 3rd, 2017. My name is still Luke Story, and you are still listening to the Lifestylist Podcast. I'm super pumped to wish you a happy new year by delivering the great author and speaker, Dr. John Gray. And the topic of today's show is sex. S-E-X. I thought, you know what? We're going into a new year. 2016 was a trip. You know, I want to start this thing off on a positive note. And what better topic to discuss than sex, love, and relationships? So that is what we are going to do. You might know John from his previous appearance on episode 13 way back in the day. I think we're up to, uh, what are we on now? Number 39. So he was one of my first guests and definitely one of my favorites. This talk here is epic. Now I'm going to warn you, we are talking about sex and sometimes it gets a little bit graphic. I don't think we use too much profanity, but we're definitely talking about a lot of the technical, physical aspects of human sexuality. So if you have kids around or you're just a bit sensitive in the ears and get triggered easily, this might not be the episode for you. I also want to let you know that this is kind of a long one and I debated whether or not to break this into two episodes as I sometimes do. There's been a couple talks that are just too good to stop and so I'll go for like two hours and split those into a two-part episode like what I did with Guru Jagat around Christmas. I think the last two episodes were actually those. But with this one, it was just such a fluid, consistent conversation and it, it didn't really have a place to break it in the middle. It just kind of one thing jumped to the next and it had a really nice... Uh, somewhat linear flow to it. So I thought, you know what, I'm just going to keep it as is. But it might be one you want to sit down and listen to a couple times and maybe even (laughs) revisit at a few different points in your life because this was a profound conversation. So some of the things that John and I discussed were as follows. The four types of chemistry and what kills them. Why are we sometimes turned on by the exact wrong person? Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes the hottest sex is just the person that you should not be with. And how our childhood trauma affects our sex life. What causes sex addiction? How to get out of it? Uh, What does porn do to us? And how does it affect our relationships and affect our brains and productivity? What's up with masturbation and the male orgasm hangover? You ladies might not know that we have that. Well, we do. And I'm going to explain that or John's going to explain that in the episode. How to create polarity and attraction between a couple and how to keep that alive. And then, of course, does monogamy work? Is there a way to make that happen and still stay happy? What makes sex different for men and women? And do older men bond more easily? Is casual sex trickier for us that are over 40? And how about women? Can women have sex without falling in love? We're going to find out. Lastly, and this one's an interesting one, should men practice semen retention or should we just let it all go, so to speak? So I look so forward to you hearing this episode. I learned a lot. I'm honestly going to listen to this one probably 50 times because this guy is just like such a wealth of knowledge and I enjoy talking to him so much. So I want to thank you again for joining me. I'm going to tell you again, happy new year. This is going to be a great year. I'm really excited for all the things that I have planned and I can't wait to hear from you and see what you're 
you're all doing. I want to encourage you to join us next Tuesday for my interview with Rafi Dillian from Omica as we discuss all of the mm, hidden dangers in the health food industry and how to identify and source the best possible products. He's a true OG of the health world. So I can't wait to give you that one. I'd also like to remind you to go over to lukestory.com forward slash support. If you're in the position to offer a pledge, you can do so very easily there and help to keep growing and improving this here podcast. You can also go to lukestory.com and right on my homepage, find a tab that says join the tribe. If you sign up for my newsletter, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to try to sell you a bunch of crazy shit. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not. What's going to happen is every week when I release a new episode just like this one, you're going to get all of the live links and show notes and everything that was discussed in every episode delivered to your inbox, as well as any video content or anything else rad that I happen to be up to. So if you like this show, you like me, get on that dang newsletter. Okay, thanks so much and enjoy the interview. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends over at humancharger.com. The human charger is a device that I use on a very regular basis to not only treat the negative effects of jet lag, but also just to increase my energy levels, mood, and mental alertness. So how does this magical machine work? Essentially, it shoots white light into your ear canal via these little earbuds, which hits the photosensitive areas of your brain and activates the creation of serotonin, dopamine, and neuroadrenaline, basically the chemicals that your brain makes to keep you awake and feeling good. So it's a really cool piece of biohacking technology known as light therapy, and this stuff's been used since the 80s, and I use it all the time. It's very effective. If you want to check it out and learn more about how to use this device and jet lag in general, you can go back to episode 28, where we talk all about it for about an hour. Then I want to encourage you to get over to human charger.com forward slash Luke. And when you're there, use the discount code story 20 to save 20% off your order. That's humancharger.com forward slash Luke. John Gray is the best-selling relationship author of all time. He's the author of 17 books, including the New York Times' number one best-selling book of the last decade, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. His 17 books have sold over 50 million copies in 50 different languages around the world. For more than 35 years, John Gray has conducted public and private seminars for thousands of participants around the world. In his highly acclaimed books, videos, and transformational seminars, John entertains and inspires audiences with practical communication techniques. His unique focus is assisting men and women in understanding, respecting, and appreciating their differences. He has appeared on The Oprah Winfrey Show many times, as well as The Dr. Oz Show, The Today Show, CBS Morning Show, Good Morning America, The Early Show, The View, and many others. He's been profiled in Time, Forbes, USA Today, and People. His website is packed with amazing information, and you can find that at marsvenus.com. So our guest today is, of course, John Gray. This is his second uh, visit to the Lifestylist podcast, and I think this is actually the first person I've had on for a second time. I'm really excited to talk to you again, John. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's a real pleasure. Yeah, man. It was great to see you at the Longevity Now conference a couple months ago, too. You had quite a long line of people getting autographs, and I waited in line like like a civilian and got to give you a hug and meet you in person, which was great, having only met you on Skype before. 
It was a fun day, that's for sure. Absolutely, man. So, uh, listeners, we just <laughs> John and I have spent the last thirty minutes trying to uh, meander our way through a lot of technical difficulties. We started on Skype, and now we're using another program called Zencaster. If you're a podcaster, you might check that out. But oh my god, if there's one thing that throws me off my game, normally it's technology. But I I knew that I had to record and have a good personality and keep the vibrations high, so I somehow managed to just breathe through that. So here we are. We're recording. Everything's working. I got John Gray and. And today we are going to talk about sex, human sexuality. So our last conversation, John kind of meandered in a lot of different areas, and uh, I think we could probably do 10 episodes in a row and cover each topic. But this is one that people have been asking about um, from my listenership, and it's something I haven't really gone into too deeply. So I've got a series of questions, but we'll just see where it goes. My first question for you is this. Can you create chemistry with another person. And, and I'm just going to speak in terms of heterosexual sex in this you know, episode, by the way, <laughs> listener, just because I happen to be heterosexual. I don't know how some of these things will apply to same-sex couples, but maybe John might have some insight on that. But um, in terms of men and women, biologically speaking, how can you, I've noticed in my life, sometimes you can be very visually attracted to someone, but physically not very attracted to them. What's the deal with chemistry? How do our bodies choose each other? Okay, so that's a big question. And it's, it's chemistry is automatic. And on the biological level, at a very physical level, there's a physical attraction, which is actually, many people believe, to be based upon pheromones and saliva, uh, in that the computer of our brain figures out the genetic compatibility at one level, meaning that you are different from my genes and therefore it will be gene expansion. So that's sort of the most basic biological thing there. But then there's an emotional part of all of us and that we're attracted to people who complete us in some way. Either they mimic an unresolved issue from our childhood or past, or they have qualities that are latent within us, that come forth within us when we connect with them. So that's on an emotional level. So this is kind of the mystery of attraction. And then there's aspects of people who bring ease to who we are, which is they think like we do. They have similar values to us. So we might look at uh, chemistry from four different points of view, a spiritual point of view, which is we have like values, a mental point of view, which is that uh, there's a certain respect that we have for the person's intelligence, for their thinking process, from where they come from. We don't necessarily agree with them. That's really important when it comes to chemistry. Uh, when we talk about chemistry, we're talking about attraction. And when there's attraction, there's always differences, except on that spiritual level where there's a deeper comfort, where there's a similar values. But, you know, it's in a mind, it's, we're stimulated by somebody who thinks differently from us, and that creates an attraction, kind of like magnetic poles, a positive pole, negative pole, or north pole and south pole. They come together to create a greater whole. On an emotional level, there's an attraction because, you know, my wife has certain feminine qualities that aren't that present in me. And so as I connect with her, those qualities come into my own awareness, and that makes me feel more whole, and vice versa. So there's there's kind of a gender balance that happens. And again, I'm talking heterosexual relationships, but even in, in gay relationships where I'm not an expert, 
there's going to be always some emotional difference between two people. And it's those differences that creates the connection, the attraction, the chemistry. And then on a biological level, there's this very physical message that our bodies are giving off through pheromones and saliva. And again, as I mentioned before, there's a a genetic aspect to it, but there's also a hormonal balance to it. The female has experiences chemistry when the male has way more masculine qualities, and that's measured by testosterone. So your average man has 10 times more testosterone than your average woman. When that testosterone levels go too low in a man, he's no longer seen as attractive to a woman. Uh, They can be much higher uh, more than 10 times. The average male, as I said, is 10 to 30 times, actually, more than the average female. And females, their hormonal differences is they have at least 10 times more estrogen than a man. Now, when her estrogen levels are low, she will not be attractive to him. He won't feel that much chemistry with her. There has to be this sort of hormonal duality where the opposites complement each other and come together, and that creates that chemistry. When women are ovulating, for example, their estrogen levels double and their testosterone levels relative to their estrogen go low. And so they're much more attracted to men when their estrogen levels are really high, and men find them more attractive as well. So there's this hormonal distinction. And every time we talk about chemistry, whether it be physical, emotional, mental, or spiritual, we're talking about differences which are inherent in people or differences which are uh, there because a person is out of balance because a couple could have chemistry to start with Over time, this is typical, what happens, research shows that when men get married or they have children, men's testosterone levels take a big dip. That makes him much less attractive to her. So we see quite commonly uh, men and women have less sex. As a a therapist, I hear a lot, you know, men saying, my wife doesn't want to have sex as much as I do until he hits his 40s and 50s. And then she basically starts wanting, in some cases, more sex than him once he's not interested. Uh, but that's usually she's just wanting to experience the closeness that she's no longer feeling. She wants to feel desired. Long before that, he wanted to feel desired. But there is this hormonal shift that takes place when you get married. Also, when women um, are busy working all day in the work world, this is another dynamic which is changing today, their testosterone levels are higher and testosterone lowers estrogen in women. And so over time, when sort of the fantasy of everything's going to be perfect in my marriage disappears, then a woman's estrogen levels uh, will start to drop as well. They don't have to, and nor do men's testosterone levels have to drop, but that is the case these days. Wow. (laughs) There's so much to unpack there. I was like, when I asked the question, I was totally discounting three other areas of chemistry or compatibility. I was thinking more about just, you know, when the the pheromone aspect and the saliva, as you mentioned. So what you described with the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, those different ways in which we create attraction or chemistry, my mind immediately goes, 
I look at all my past relationships and and obviously if they're if they don't exist anymore, at least in a romantic capacity, there was one area of chemistry or compatibility, or maybe more that we're missing. And and I look back at my own history and I see, oh yeah, with this one we didn't really connect mentally, or with this one there just wasn't like a raw physical sexual attraction, or maybe like you said, our value system was different, or, or the way that we were like out of sync or out of phase emotionally prevented us from really having a heightened intimacy or sexual attraction. So it's it's interesting, and I've always thought, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to have limiting beliefs, but when I look at those different areas for myself, I think, God, is it like a pipe dream to um, to think that you could find one person with which you have all of those areas covered? I mean, do you think it's possible to find an ideal mate where at least to some degree those areas of chemistry and attraction are present in one person? Uh, yeah, I, I, here's here's it's a yes and a no. Uh, there's a lot of things that if I was in my fantasy of a perfect partner, my wife would not be. You know, I'm an entertainer. I I stand in front of thousands of people and they laugh and they they love it and they give me standing ovations. You've seen that, and I just drink it up. Okay, it's a part of who I am and my my soul's journey in this world. And my wife made it very clear to me when we got married. She says, John, when you come home, I cannot be a thousand people giving you a standing ovation. <laughs> and that, you know, that was hard for me at, in the beginning because uh, I was used to all this attention and I, I didn't get that kind of attention from my wife. And I thought, gee, well, that's not very cool. And then I realized, well, wait a second, you know, you can't expect everything from one person. I came up with an idea called the eighty twenty principle. It's uh, I borrowed it from the you know time management where they talk about how people will spend eighty percent of their time doing the least productive things and ten percent of their time or twenty percent of the time doing the productive things. And likewise, in relationships, when there's problems, we're tending to look to our partner for everything. And it's much easier when you look to your partner for ten or twenty percent of your fulfillment in your life. And I really teach this a lot to men because we have this idea that you know it's our job to make women happy. And most of the time when there's problems in relationships, it does really stem from women are not happy, you know, not happy with him, she wants to change him, she's not satisfied and he'll jump overboard to try to, you know, make things work and when what he does doesn't seem to make her happy, then you feel like why bother? And like you failed or you give up. And that creates a lot of tension for both sides. And a comforting thought that I have, which makes my marriage of 31 years work great, is I don't feel responsible for making my wife happy. Certainly, if she's happy, I'm happier. And I clearly get that it's her job to make herself happy. My job is to you know, make her happier and also to create a situation to help her find her happiness, but to not get caught in the illusion that I'm making her happy. And that is an illusion, but it, it seems very real. Like the sun moving across the sky is very real. It's moving across the sky, but it's an illusion. It doesn't move. We're moving around the sun. Uh, likewise, it seems like we make the woman happy, and she thinks you make me happy. So we get caught up in this 100% thing, realizing that there's a time in the beginning of a relationship where it really feels that way because many of your other needs are being met. And so your partner comes along to, to sort of bring in what was missing, and it's like now a whole, whole puzzle piece is, the puzzle is finished. But there's all these other needs that we forget we have, like fulfillment from our work, 
uh, fulfillment from our friends, uh, fulfillment from our personal growth or our spiritual fulfillment, fulfillment that comes through challenging ourselves and developing our abilities, education. And then there's the fulfillment that comes through intimacy and partnership. So that would be like, you know, one-tenth, one-twentieth our fulfillment. But it sure seems like when we fall in love that, oh my gosh, this person is making me so happy. And she's feeling, oh, he's making me so happy. So when she's not happy, she feels like he has failed and he buys into it. And <laughs> That's great. So there's a little formula just to sim- simply put is I realize I can't make her happy, but I can make her happier. And that's a reality because I can uh, take her to really heights. And, and that's in the bedroom, but also in many other areas of life where she can depend upon me for that extra special dessert. But it's really careful in my thinking. I am very clear that my job is not to make her happy. My job is to make her feel safe. And that's what men have done for thousands of years, is our main job was to make women feel safe. It's just that today, women don't need us for the things we used to provide uh, for her to feel safe. We used to you know, bring home the bacon and stand guard and you know, join the army and all those things were ways we made women feel safe. And today, women aren't looking for a man to make her feel safe that way. And a lot of women really don't know what they're looking for in a man, to be quite honest. But when they discover it, and often I'm teaching women this, is what you need most from men, and they all nod their head and they go, yeah, is they need an emotional safety. On an emotional level, they need to feel safe that they can express themselves and be themselves and grow and change. Because, you know, we've all been oppressed to a certain extent. You know, men have been limited to these male roles and women have been limited to these female roles. We all want freedom. And what women are looking for most from men, and it's a deep need that isn't always articulate, articulated or clearly expressed in their mind, the need is to feel safe. And if you can provide safety for a woman, and that means a lot of different things, but on this emotional level for her to be all that she can be, then she can find her happiness. And then men can experience this ecstasy of making her even happier. And that's a great sex life. And uh, that's what sex is about. Sex is bringing the spirit all the way to the most basic part of our instinctive being and our body and our instincts and bringing that light and the love into our bodies in that way by uniting on a physical level, feeling that oneness, which it's easy to feel in meditation a oneness. Well, not easy for everybody, but after many years of practice, you can feel oneness with the universe but to be, feel oneness with another human being and to feel that connection, that's what everybody gets to glimpse when they have an orgasm together. You know, that just surrender and opening your heart and clinging to each other. You know, in that moment, it's my wife, I'm her husband. There's a oneness there that we all, whether we articulate it or not, that's what's going on. And that's the spiritual reality coming into materialization through sex. And that is ecstasy. And that can grow to where, you know, I'm now 31 years and I have regular great sex with my wife. I'm a teacher of sex and love and relationships. So you'd expect that of me at least. And But I've learned how to do this so that the same feeling to a muted level, I experience even when I give her a hug, you know, a six second hug, I'll do several times a day. And it's literally, I connect on the spiritual level 
in my physical body and just feel a oneness with her. It's still not the same as sex. I mean, we get naked in bed and, <laughs> and you stimulate a lot more hormones that way. It's spectacular. And that's life. Life is not spectacular all the time like that. It comes in waves, and we have to learn to culture those waves. If it was all the time, it actually would be very boring. It's just not the nature of life. Life is like the weather. It's changing, the winter and then the spring and the sunshine and the warmth. It all, it's the contrasts that bring great joy in our lives. If you were to go to a Broadway show, you know they always have some songs that are kind of low-key, not that great, and some songs that are a little off. And then they have the really great songs that stand out. If every song is a great song that stands out, they, you just sort of take it for granted and you don't really experience the exhilaration of variation. So life is variation. And, and women will guarantee that for sure. <laughs> They're always changing. Every time you give an answer, there's, just, there's so many nuggets in there. I'm like, oh, there goes 20 more questions. So I'm always challenging my, my brain to be able to go back and, uh, and dissect some of that. But I love what you were talking about in terms of not being responsible for another person's feelings. And this is something I've become, I guess in, in some circles, they might refer to that as codependency, although I'm not totally clear on what that means to different people. But I've noticed in my relationships that um, if a woman is unhappy, I feel abnormally uncomfortable and feel the need to fix them as quickly as possible. Because <laughs> it's because I care about them and I want them, I don't want them to feel pain or discomfort or whatever it is. But at the same time, it's because it makes me feel so goddamn uncomfortable. I'm like, can we just fix this? You know, so um, allowing someone else the dignity to take care of themselves emotionally and and not feeling responsible, I think, is a great is a great lesson and distinction. And and to not make her feel good, but to make her feel better. What was that that you said? It was a great quote. Uh, well, it's our job isn't to make her happy. Our job Happier. is to make her feel safe. Okay. Okay. And what we can do is, is uh, if she is happy, we can certainly make her happier. And there's another little nugget here, which is don't fix, instead connect. Oh, nice. It just it really comes down to one sentence. Don't fix, connect. Now, the reason that's such a cool thing is because our intention is ultimately we don't want to see the person we love suffer. And so if you can understand women, you can realize the number one cause of their suffering is they start to feel disconnected. It's connection. Love's a, a one word for that, but another word is connection. And because uh, sometimes, you know, I'm connecting with my wife. I'm not really happy to be doing this, but I do the work. You know, it's like a, we all, as men, we, we work hard. We're connected to our work at that time. We don't always like what we're doing. And there's times which are not so easy in a relation, lots of times when they're not easy. And you want to make her feel better than to know the way to make her feel better is to make her feel safe, to be herself, and to support that process as best you can is to connect. Now, safe is the thing that we can always do. That's within our power is to just not step on her at those times. And then the next step above that is to connect. Because that's what she's looking for. And nobody's going to be perfect at that. She's not perfect at it either. And I have the most wonderful discovery in my marriage that if couples can discuss this and agree to this, it's such a wonderful way to experience connection. And it is, I mean, there's lots of ways to do this, but 
you know, simply put, if you're listening to a woman, men kind of go, okay, if I'm not going to fix anything, what am I going to do? So what you do, because we want to do something, you know, our testosterone levels say, do something. And that's important. We got to do something. So it's kind of a Zen, non-doing, doing. What I'm doing is connecting. And the connecting is by asking questions, not giving answers. That's another subtlety here, asking questions and not giving answers. God, that's, kind of like that's, Kung. that's so difficult to do like, yeah, as a man. It's very hard. Especially- it's the opposite of what we're, our instincts, our instinctive brain wants to do is do something. Especially when you see a you know a woman that you care about sitting in front of you crying and and in obvious pain, whether you caused it or not or had anything to do with it. I mean, maybe it's just a life circumstance. It's like it's so I mean, I've gotten better at it because I'm aware of some of these practices, but it's like torture sometimes because you hear I know the solution, like within the first three words she says, but it's like, yeah. you know, if I'm offering the solution and trying to fix her, she doesn't feel safe anymore. And and all of a sudden that pain will turn into aggression toward me. And I'm like, wait, what the fuck? I'm trying to help here. It's like, no, listen, don't fix. That's that's beautiful. Yeah, it's listen, connect, don't fix. Uh, for the women listening, you know, this is something my wife does occasionally. And I remember the day she did it, actually, it made such a difference for me. Even, even the first time she said it, it made a huge difference for me. And kind of grokking this whole male-female relationship thing. I was listening to her trying not to fix, just like you're talking about. It's hard. And you kind of feel drained after a while because you haven't yet learned that you're fixing things by connecting. Okay, It's like you're you're making it better. When a man doesn't sense he's making something better, he's not succeeding. And if he's not succeeding, his testosterone levels are dropping. So your energy level drop, you're kind of suffering. And this is before you start getting defensive and she gets defensive and all that. And my wife said to me, she says, I've been asking a few questions and she'd been going on and on and on about something. And I have no idea what it is now. So years ago. But then she just said, she paused and she goes, I know this seems like a waste of time to you. And I know this is really difficult for you to hear, but it's really helpful to me. And I hugely appreciate your patience. Wow. Beautiful. I mean, as a man, don't you just melt when you hear that? Yeah, it's it's kind of like, it's like I did this huge job for you and I got paid <laughs> in a sense. That's all men want is just, we can endure amazing stuff, but there needs to be that acknowledgement that you did that for me and I really appreciate it. Oh, you're so, you're so right on, man. It's like when I feel like I'm failing at anything, it, I mean, I don't care if it's like like us trying to get on this call. It's like Skype was beating us and it's like, it's demoralizing. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. once we fixed it, I was like, yes, okay, we got it. We're recording. It's like, I mean, insignificant things like that. I mean, just little things in daily life. Even just like I've noticed, I was looking at kind of the org chart with my company yesterday and um, what my role is in my in my fashion school that I have. And so many of the things that I'm in charge of, I'm just unfortunately not very good at because they're very administrative and kind of detail-oriented and managing other people. And I see like I get demoralized a lot of the time because I'm doing things that I don't feel effective at where I go do public speaking like what you do. I know that I'm really good at that. And when I'm doing that, I feel so good because I know I'm succeeding. Absolutely. And, and this is what... What women can understand about men and we can understand about ourselves is for men, it's all about feeling successful, making a difference. It's always about that. And on a biological level, when we're talking about chemistry again, is 
when you feel like you're making a difference, that you're succeeding, then your testosterone levels rise. And when your testosterone levels rise, then another thing happens. If your testosterone is at a good level, a healthy level for you, every man has his own balance of testosterone. And he feels that he's helping, that he's needed. So my testosterone's up, you know, I'm ready for action. Then there's a brain chemical called dopamine that says, oh, somebody needs my help. Now another hormone gets produced. And if it's in a sexual potential relationship, then the other hormone that gets produced is vasopressin. Now vasopressin is what causes erections. It also causes men to bond with a woman. So this is like a really important thing for women to understand is when a man feels he's the hero, okay, testosterone says, I've got the juice. I can do something. I'm confident. I'm capable. Then suddenly you feel needed. That's dopamine. And that motivates us. So he's motivated. He's got confidence. And it's in a sexual relationship, which is called pair bonding relationship. Then what gets produced in his body is a hormone called vasopressin. And vasopressin causes erection. It causes desire. It also causes bonding. Women say, how do I get him to bond with me? Make him your hero. Now, here's what's interesting. If she's your hero, that's the flip side of the pair bonding. Where she's the hero, vasopressin gets produced in her body. It turns off her sexual desire. Whoa. It turns off. So and this is that, when, that, when, that, So that's like when you're when you make the mistake as a, a masculine energy man, it's like relying on a woman to fix your problems and you lean on them emotionally and they take on that kind of motherly role and you become this sort of impotent little boy energy, then the sex is dead. Sex is dead. Right? I have thankfully I haven't experienced that in a long time, but in my twenties that was that explained the dynamic of a lot of relationships that started out hot and heavy and we had a lot of chemistry and then just because of where I was at that point in my development, um, that dynamic would ensue and I'd be like, wait, what happened? You know, a lot of couples are quote happily married because of that dynamic, which is in order to create peace and make the woman happy a man will sort of yield himself again and again and again. An example of that would be I get dressed up and my wife says, oh, you can't wear that tie. I say, oh, okay, what do you suggest? And she picks out a tie for me. Happens again, happens again. The fourth time it happens, I don't even go pick out a tie. I just go to her and I say, which tie do you think is good for me? Uh, where should we go? Oh, what should man. we do? That sounds so gross. Wow. It's what happens in marriages because the guys want her to be happy. So we, you know, she says, let's go out to dinner. He'll say, where do you want to go? She'll say, I don't know. And then he'll say another one. And she'll say, no, not that one. And women are often really good at what they don't want, don't want, don't want. So he gets in this habit of experiencing that what he suggests, she doesn't want. Now, I'm not saying a man shouldn't ask a woman, what would you like? But what you do is you do it from the point of view of knowing that uh, you don't do it all the time. You have to look at what you'd like. There has to be a balance, uh, equal balance. But if I say to her, you know, well, she'll say to me, let's go out to eat. I don't want to make dinner because she cooks in our house. And... I say, sure. And what would you like? And she'll say, I don't know. Already, when she doesn't know and she's hungry, I know three things are true. 
The first thing I say, she's not going to like. Second thing I say, she's not going to like. The third thing I suggest, she's not going to like. <laughs> I'm already ready for it because it's very hard when women are hungry or stressed to make up their mind. And by letting her talk a little bit about her resistance to my suggestions, I'm actually helping her lower her stress levels of being able to feel safe to say, no, I don't want to go there. And I go, oh, yeah, I remember that was an awful place. Just take some time to ask some questions to validate her feelings. Don't get frustrated that your first suggestion wasn't appreciated. Know that it's going to take a little while for her to get to the place where she can find her center and go, oh, that's a great idea. Oh, let's go there. That's wonderful. So that's, again, understanding what I'm dealing with at a time where a woman is hungry or a time when a woman is stressed. It's really hard for them to know what they would like. And yet at the same time, I watch, you know, there's this just tendency where men yield too much in a relationship. They care too much about what she thinks. You know, when it comes to clothes, for example, and dressing, you mentioned fashion. My wife knows, don't tell me what to wear. But what I know is that she is much more embarrassed if I don't look good, if she looks really good. So when we're going out on a special date or something, I'm going to say, I say to her on occasion, I say, if you'd like to make any suggestions on what I'm going to wear tonight, that's fine because I know you want to look really good as a couple. So I, you know, I create a context where in this situation, I'm okay for you to be my fashion designer. Otherwise, I dress the way I want to dress. And I established that about 25 years ago, I guess, because she was always trying to tell me how to dress. And I said, you know what? Don't do it anymore. I dress the way I like. And under special occasions, you can either say, can I give you a suggestion on this occasion? Or I might offer that to you. Same thing with driving. Uh, you know, I don't want her telling me how to drive, direct me when I drive. But at the same time, I recognize that she's in the driver's seat, you know, it's next to me. So she's out of control. So if she's uncomfortable, she puts her hand and grabs the handle. And that just tells me, oh, my wife's uncomfortable and I slow down for her because my comfort zone is different from her. So relationships are compromised, but not giving up who you are all the time. You just described uh, a way that a woman could end a first date really fast, and that's by going, "Oh no, don't go this way. This is faster. Go this way. Go that way." Like trying to—that's right. Not that's what women do because she feels unsafe. But when she's trying to like lead the yeah. dynamic, it's just—it's so emasculating, and it's such a turnoff. Like my my genitals crawl back up into my stomach to die. Like it's such a turnoff. Um, so and, and these are the little kind of things that kill the sex drive. Totally, because, yeah. And you know, we're veering off into relationship stuff, and I'm not going to stop it because it's golden. But I do. I want to cover two more little things, and I want to steer it back into a little more of the technical um, aspects of sex. But yeah, you know, we're talking about what it takes to make a woman feel safe, and um, I have a feeling that what makes a man feel safe is is quite different. And for me, I think what makes me feel safe is very simple. I can boil it down to one word, and that is being respected. If I feel like I'm respected, I feel very comfortable and safe, and I'm 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 allowed to kind of be who I am because I don't feel judged and I just feel kind of my own power. Would you agree that that? I'm sure there's more to it, but is that um, something you found to be true? Well, everybody deserves respect. What I have found to be true that the deepest need that men have is to feel appreciated. Okay. 
And I think when you say respected, you mean to be appreciated. Yeah, that makes sense. Sure, that makes sense. And see, if you look under the word definition of respect, it will say in the dictionary, to be esteemed, to be appreciated, to be honored. Uh, and yet, if you look at the word, it's very it means something different than a bunch of definitions for it. When you respect someone, in most cases, it's because you appreciate them a lot. But think about the speed limit for a minute. You know, I think it's ridiculously low at 55. You know, I grew up in Texas where it was 90. My mother used to drive around 90 miles an hour on those highways. Now, the speed limit is 55. So to follow the speed limit is to what? To respect the speed limit. When my daughter would wake up as a baby in the middle of the night, I would get up and hold her, take turns with my wife and cuddle her in my arms and sing a little song, hum to her until she went back to bed. Now, I did not like getting up out of bed, and I didn't appreciate having to get out of bed. And it's not like I'm going, oh, I'm so glad. I appreciate so much my daughter wakes me up in the middle of the night. But I respected her. I respected her needs. I honored her needs. So the word respect has a lot of connotations because you tend to respect someone, easily respect them when you enormously appreciate them. For example, if you voted for the president and he came in your house, uh, it's because you appreciate him so much, you would then give him respect. But at the same time, if you didn't vote for him and you didn't appreciate him because of the status of his position, there would be a certain level of respect that you would give to him. So I think the key thing is us to be very clear about what we need. And you described over and over how when you're successful, you feel so good. And how do you know you're successful? It's not when people do what you say. It's when people appreciate what you do. And when people do what you say, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, that is called respect. And we all deserve respect. But from my perspective, who needs it the most, particularly today, is women. Women are the ones who really don't get the respect they deserve, and they don't. They don't respect themselves. They often, that's that codependent thing. They often make everybody else more important than themselves. They respect others. My children's needs, my neighbor's needs, my work needs. They tend to put their own needs at the bottom of the list. And they have a difficulty respecting themselves. And that's why they need the respect of a husband more. And if you think about all the things women do for men, and they do a lot, even a lot of things we don't want them to do, but in their minds, they're doing stuff for us. It's because they're respecting us, but they're not appreciating us. When they're upset with us, when they complain to us, they're not appreciating what we offer. And that's the women's lesson, is learning how to appreciate men. Because if you say to a woman, you're not respecting me, she says, I made you dinner, I did this for you, I did this for you, I did this for you. In their minds, that's respect. And that is honoring somebody's needs. But what they're missing is they're missing the ability and the connection with their love and appreciation for all that you do for them. That's the key. So it's it's linguistics, but I yeah. I like to make those points yeah, very clear. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense actually. I like the appreciation and 
and the part of being honored. Uh, there's someone that I interviewed in LA named Dr. Pat Allen, and she's a you know relationship teacher and speaker and whatnot. And she talks about um, that the feminine wants to be cherished and that the masculine wants to be respected, and that. When a woman is cherished, she feels respected. A woman's feelings are cherished. She feels respected. And that when a man is respected for his thinking and his decisions and his way of being, that he feels cherished and feels safe. And I thought that was, it's again, it's like a, you know, a languaging thing, but I, I liked that. Does that kind of ring true to you? Because I don't, like, I don't need a woman, to, I'm not going to talk about my feelings with a woman. I don't need a woman to like create a space for my feelings. That just doesn't happen. It's not why I'm there, you know? Um, but I feel that I'm more successful when I do that for a woman. So it's this sort of cherishing um, you know, relationship that I have for them, and then they feel respected because I really care about the way that they feel and how they're doing in that moment. Well, women do need to feel respected, and they do need to feel cherished. And the, and when you make somebody safe, once again, if you're protecting somebody, you're respecting their right to life. You know, the words are very important to me. And and Pat and I, I love Pat. She's great and. One of the big differences between my message and Pat's, and maybe she's changed it over the years, I haven't seen her in a few years, is she says it's a choice. You can be the leader if you're a woman, or you can be the follower. And for me, it's, it's partnership. But when we're talking about hormones, the yielding, cooperating, needing, asking for help, emotional vulnerability, all of those things I just mentioned are behaviors that stimulate estrogen. And one of the biggest weakening things in a modern man's life today is too much estrogen. That's why sex drive is going down in men and they lose interest in their partners. Is They get close to a woman, they conform to a woman, they start feeling their female side too much. Their estrogen levels are off the chart. And that lowers, estrogen lowers testosterone. And so he loses that desire for her. There's a comfort zone and the desire is gone. And, you know, it's basically not a choice. If you've got a biology that says, for me to feel well-being, I need 10 to 30 times more testosterone than my partner. And for a woman to feel happiness and joy in her life and love for a man and appreciate what he offers her, to delight in his presence, she needs much higher levels, at least 10 to 20 times higher estrogen than a man. Now, these are biological realities that we, we have to have relationship skills to sustain those hormone levels, then our sex can have the juice. You know, maybe we'll talk more about the technicalities of sex, but what's behind it all is this hormonal difference between men and women that creates this chemistry. And we look at twice as many people today are single than when I started out. So this is a huge difference because people just can't stay attracted to their partner. And one part of that is these relationship skills that are putting us into role reversal, where men are becoming more in their feeling side. And as you said, you you don't want to go to a woman to nurture your feelings. I'm not telling men to suppress their feelings, but if you need to talk about feelings, go talk to a man. Because if you talk to a man, 
You'll be grounded in your testosterone, just hanging out with guys will do that. And you're able to connect with your female side. It's best for men to be on the male side and let the woman be on her female side in that 20% relationship that we talked about at the very beginning. You don't look to everything from one person, but what you're looking for in your intimate marriage or sexual relationship is a relationship that's based on chemistry, that wants to nurture chemistry, that wants to give us the opportunity to bring in this higher spirit into the physical body to experience physical ecstasy, not to experience making more money. You know, it's not to experience success in the world. You know, that's other departments in our life. Our partner's not, they can be our best friends. Some people say that, but we need to have lots of friends. But we have one sexual partner that we grow in union with and experience a higher level of ecstasy than with any of the other areas of our life. You mentioned earlier in relation to those four different, you know, degrees or areas of compatibility or chemistry. One of them was emotional, I think, and that one was related to, you know, our relationships with our parents and significant events in our childhood, whether it I'm assuming would be trauma or just your mommy and daddy issues and things like that. In terms of our sexual attraction, uh, just subjectively, I've noticed that you know, I I experienced sexual trauma as a kid, and you know, I'm obviously that has affected me, and it's something I've worked with a lot, um, especially around the area of addiction and things like that. But I've noticed in relationships with women when they have been abused or abandoned or have had some sort of negative relationship with a man in their childhood, that the relationships with them tend to be much more dramatic and um, have a much more addictive nature to them. And those partners that I've experienced have been much more sexually charged and I've had much more chemistry with them than I have, say, a, you know, a woman that has had a really healthy, somewhat normal childhood and a really supportive, loving dad in their life. Like, why are pe- why is sex better with people who are screwed up? <laughs> That's what I'm asking. My and, and I'm including I'm including myself in that equation 100 too. It's just something I've always wondered. I'm like, what's up with that? It's like that. It's like you have one person that kind of is acting addictive and needy, and then you have the other person that's being very unavailable. And it seems to be this this dynamic that's inherent with people that have experienced trauma. Okay, so what you just described is true, and it's noticeable with many many people. And uh, generally, what happens is, first of all. Put it in your terms, if somebody's really messed up, a man other than me might call it, this woman's really crazy, but the sex is unbelievable. Okay, so that's what I've heard many, many times. We'll put it that way. And that's what you're describing. And uh, what that's about is passion. Passion is intensity, intense feeling. That's a definition, actually, if you go in dictionary, passion, intense feeling. Now, when do we have the strongest feelings in our life? It's before the prefrontal cortex of the brain fully develops. We're just in this middle part of the brain, which is often called the monkey brain. We could also call it the childlike brain. And we have these early childhood traumas, which are needs that weren't fulfilled at that time. I mean, the intensity of a child, I mean, you put your mouth on her nipple and she's sucking for her life force, you know, from her mother, the bonding, 
that a child has with the, the mother. The baby is always tracking the mother. The baby will cry when the mother disappears. You know, this is such intense need. And when we have a need, then if that need is not being met, then we have intense feeling. And there's, so there's a lot of passion. You know, you, we just sort of ignore it with kids, but they're crying all the time and they, they get upset if they have the freedom to be that way. So when you have an unresolved issue, it's an unfulfilled need that hasn't been integrated into the front part of our brain. So what happens is when we meet someone, let's, let's take the classic example of the woman who felt abandoned by her father. And so the response a child has when you're being abandoned by a father is, okay, who I am must be not good enough. I must adjust who I am. So there's this adjustment and this adjustment. So I'm constantly changing myself to get the love I need. So I'm, I'm denying myself in that process. I'm denying myself, giving up who I am to get love. And so there's this whole denial process. That's called disowned parts of who we are. So when you access those disowned parts, they're childlike parts of us. There's tremendous passion. There's intensity in there. It's like a volcano in there that erupts. So there's intense feeling of need, I need, I need, I need. Now, need is a good thing, and it needs to be balanced with preference and want and a rational mind. But we have these feelings down deep inside. And so a woman's radar is out there, and it's constantly sensing, where is a partner who will help me to feel those unfelt needs, the man who's not available to me? So she actually will tend to subconsciously pick the man in the room who's married or who's dangerous or who's violent, who could actually trigger those feelings within her, the un unresolved feelings of abandonment or fear or inadequacy or unworthiness. Who's going to help her to feel that part of her? Because it's only when we can feel these unresolved issues from childhood that they can be integrated into our whole person and we can make sense of them. We can let them go to the extent that they're irrational and they're all irrational. So what happens for women is they find that they're going to be particularly attracted to, they're just going to feel all this sexual chemistry with the man who's not available to her, to the wrong guy, Basically, if it's the right guy, she'll have no sexual feelings towards him. If it's the wrong guy, she'll feel this intense arousal inside of her. It's a similar phenomenon, but not as dark in terms of celebrity status. You know, women get turned on to celebrities and rock stars and so forth. And that's a fantasy as well. Clearly, they're not going to, if they were to give their heart to this person, he could care less about them. So it's like, I'm giving myself to somebody who I imagine will give me the love I need, but in reality is not available to me. So we get, it's kind of another way of looking at that is how people will tend to want what they don't have. And then as soon as they have it, they're ready to want something more. But to the extent that you are needing something and missing it, you want to recreate the situation. And that's the whole basis of therapy is we tend to be drawn to situations to wake up unresolved feelings inside of ourselves. And the reason they could be so sexually charged is because there's such a deep aliveness associated that's been suppressed. Wow. That was a lot. Wow. You know, it's no, a complicated thing. No, I I came across. My, questions, my questions hopefully elicit a complicated answer because they're very complex and these are things that 
you know, I, I know that I'm not alone in sort of being perplexed by such issues and having been kind of on both sides of that, but myself erring more on the side of the unavailable type. Um, and I've traced that back to a lot of enmeshment issues um, as a child and feeling very like uh, smothered, you know, and um, not being allowed to just kind of be a kid. So I had a parent that was, you know, uh, very dependent. And so, you know, I never want to get married, never want to have kids, I'll never commit. I'm just like the classic unavailable guy. And I think historically, I've been like a magnet for women <laughs> that, you know, that you just described. Right, so, right. Well, and this is so, a cycle that I want to break. I mean, this is why I love doing these interviews. I don't mean to make it too personal at the expense of the audience, but I, I know that I'm not alone. I have many guy friends that have been on either side of that. And I think these are the things that we really need to talk about because. You know, if I get with a woman and that dynamics present, and we have a kid, and then we kind of repeat that cycle, this is the the collective neurosis of our culture. And the only way to undo that is by really taking an honest and and brave look at it. Would you agree? Yeah, the, the, if a little bit of Peter Pan phenomena is, is what you're describing. You've heard that term? Yeah, yeah, for sure. From Pat Allen, actually. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Peter Pan wants to stay young, have fun, make no commitments and fly around all the time. And uh, <laughs> and then, again, what happens is if you were to make a serious commitment, the fear is that I won't succeed. Because as a boy, when you're smothered by a mother, what happens is she's looking to you for her needs. Okay. She's given up looking to an equal partner to fulfill her partnership needs. So she just loves and adores this little child and he's everything to her. But inside she's empty because she's missing a big chunk of her life. And the little boy feels consciously or subconsciously, I'm never enough to make her happy. I can't be enough to make her happy. On a biological level, her smothering actually increases your estrogen, which suppresses testosterone. So literally you get smothered. You feel like I can't breathe. So then what happens in relationships is you're very eager to please in the beginning. You want to please them a lot and romance them and use your charm and look good and you know look how dashing I am and all that. And then you start to experience intimacy. The unresolved issue of the past starts to come up and there's the fear of failure, which I can't keep it up. I can't keep it up. And probably what you do when you start out, nobody could keep up. And so there's a tendency... I mean, I remember this in one of my my second major relationship in my life. I remember the first relationship, I was so giving and giving, and it didn't turn out. The next relationship, you know, I said, you know, if you've been my first relationship, I'd do this for you and this for you, but I've realized that I can't keep that up, so I'm not going to start it. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Don't create false hope. I love That's that. That's right. Don't create false hope. So one of the things I, you know, one little tidbit of advice is to... Uh, tone it down. Uh, really don't work hard to impress. That'd be really a key factor there. Uh, also, when you have unresolved issues, you have to um, keep in mind it, it messes with your sexual radar. We do have this sexual radar that tells us who's the right person for us. But if our we have unresolved issues, that right radar tells us Who's the right person for us to get in touch with our unresolved feelings? <laughs> wow. So, wow. So what I tell women is if you find that you're really, really turned on to a woman right away, I'm sorry, if you're turned on to a man right away, run the other direction. Now that'd be, and find a guy who's approaching you, who's pursuing you. And 
you know, in your case, what I'd say is, is if you see a woman who feels like, you know, she really needs your help and you're going to help her or rescue her, you'd want to you back away. So it's not like you can just suddenly impress her. Or I would suggest to you just to back off on working so hard to impress women. Because here's part of the dynamic, which is when men get close to women, it will change our hormones. Our estrogen goes up. And so we have to back off. If we get too close, our estrogen goes too high, and then we back off too far, which means we lose interest completely. So you get close, and then you slow it down. Everything, just slow it down and slow it down till you find that you're turned on to a woman, not turned on to her, but then you're turned on to her again. So it's a back and forth. I call that the rubber band, which is we pull away, and as long as we don't pursue another woman at that time, we tend to spring back and then pull away and spring back. And, or we don't spring back and we realize, oh, she's not for me, and then we move on. But you give it some time rather than rushing off. That's, that's a really great suggestion. Would you say that if you were to meet someone that you were interested in, you know, potentially long-term, meaningful relationship, that it would be a good idea to abstain from having actual intercourse for a period of time when you're first dating and courting to be able to ascertain if it's a real you know, legitimate bond or attraction versus just some childhood unresolved shit that's trying to be worked out. <laughs> I, I've, I have found in the past that if I become sexual really fast and there's a really strong chemistry there, that sometimes I become blind to the reality of the potential for that relationship. Yeah, I'm right with you. Uh, it's like having spent, you know, <laughs> there's a great scene in a movie and it's a little bit of reversal, but it's a great scene of this older woman and a younger guy and she's really turned on to him and he wants to talk about his feelings and she's, she puts her hand out. She says, don't speak, don't speak. <laughs> as long as you don't speak, there's no reality here and my unresolved issues, you know, my arousal can be sustained. So it's good to know a person mentally, spiritually, and emotionally and then see if there's still that arousal. So you're not like... Uh, immediately connecting so much because I explain this a lot to women, whether there's unresolved issues or not. When you do one night stand, it's all fun and exciting and great and so forth. But quite often for a man, when he connects physically after he comes, there's nothing to connect him to you. And he tends to bounce back. And to some extent, you know, unless the sex was really great, I'll go back a few more times. But if all there is is the sex, then he can't, there's no connection in the heart or the mind, and he can start to feel repelled by you as he comes into his heart, as he comes into his mind. And for women, when they have sex right away, they tend to become overly needy because here they've just given all of themselves to unite with somebody, but they yet they haven't shared their heart and their minds. So they'll feel this huge neediness, incompleteness, that she has to have more, has to have more. So slow is good. So would you prescribe, John, a specific period of time that one might want to follow, like give it three months or six months where you don't you know, have penetrative sex, or is it just kind of a, a random thing you have to feel out? You know, I don't know the right answer to that other than three months always seems like a good amount of time before penetrative sex, making out and various things that I even suggest don't come in her presence. There's something, when you don't ejaculate uh, with a woman, 
then your body feels like I still haven't finished. I still haven't finished. It keeps the traction there. It keeps the chemistry there to give it a chance to get to know her more. And as you get to know her, does getting to know her kill your chemistry or does it support your chemistry? Because it's so easy for a guy quite often, if you feel that chemistry right off, to come and to ejaculate and to get all excited. And that's fantastic and do that several times. But What's happening is you're not giving that energy a chance to find its way into your heart and your mind. It sort of becomes depleted. Uh, Even when it comes to sustaining testosterone levels, I'll just toss this in here. This is a tall order for some people. But it's to uh, masturbate only one time a week. Uh, Or if you are having a sexual relationship with a woman, to come only one time a week. Uh, that will slow everything down and keep your testosterone levels very high. Uh, There's some Japanese research shows that if you only come once a week, then on the seventh day, your testosterone levels will double. So what that does, it kind of exercises your testicles to make more testosterone. It's saying, okay, we need to be making more here to get laid more often. The body will just respond to kind of like a fast so you can you know, culture yourself to where you just don't indulge in getting off alone. That will actually lower your testosterone over time and increase your estrogen. So what happens is these young guys are doing so much porn, when they actually get with a real woman, many of them can't even have an erection because the intensity of porn in terms of dopamine production is so high that a normal woman can't produce that level of dopamine. Because when you're with a real woman, you're no longer just experiencing testosterone and dopamine and vasopressin, but you're experiencing estrogen, oxytocin, serotonin. These are all balancing hormones. So they actually measure after having masturbation or internet porn, something like that, or one night stand where you don't really know the girl at all, And you measure the body chemistry, and it's different than if you actually have sex with a woman that you care about and you know. When you have sex with your wife, for example, or a girlfriend that you care about and love, after you have sex, intercourse, uh, your body will then produce another hormone called prolactin. And prolactin basically shifts you out of the sex mode where now all you're looking for is to get laid. It allows you to do other things in your life and then allows you to go for several days without having sex, without having to masturbate. But if you masturbate, you don't make prolactin. So immediately your body says, okay, you didn't really plant this seed anywhere. So get out there and look some more. Get out there and look some more. So you become more of a sex addict. You're you're thinking about sex all the time or you're masturbating all the time. Nothing wrong about thinking about sex. Okay, I just want to put that in there, but... Too much is too much. You don't get anything else done. So nature gives us this regulation, which is it rewards us. If you go for six days without masturbating or releasing uh, your semen, your testosterone levels will double. And, and then you can release, and then they'll go back down a bit, but then they'll rise back up next week and keeps them up as opposed to feeling this addiction, this emptiness, this void where you have to keep releasing yourself. 
And that's just a really important thing I think all young people need to understand. And older people, that's how I get men in their 60s to get their testosterone levels back up. For me, it's, you know, I'm 25% higher than when I was a young man. That, oh my God, there was so much great information in there. That's like hitting on five bullets that I wanted to cover. So let me start with this question, because this one's definitely uh, pertinent to what you just described. And I, you know, absolutely affirm everything that you just said from my own male 46-year-old subjective experience. What about with a man doing semen retention, whether you have you know, just the power within you to move that energy and not actually ejaculate during orgasm, or whether you do it manually, which is something that um, men can learn how to do, do you think you could, quote unquote, get away with having sex more frequently than once a week with a woman and keep your testosterone up or even masturbate more often if you're not actually ejaculating, but you're having an orgasm? Well, let's see, about 35 years ago, I was teaching a class called Enlightened Sexuality, and then we called it Tantra, uh, and that was sort of one of the major objectives, which was to learn how to orgasm without ejaculating. And I see a lot of books teaching men how to do that and so forth. After doing it for several years myself, I got a case of prostatitis. Uh, I just wasn't uh, ejaculating enough, and it caused an irritation. And so... I'm very concerned about men's prostate health. It becomes an issue for many men as they get older. So I'm not a big fan of teaching those techniques unless they're easy for somebody. Some, some men, they're hard. Uh, for others, they're easier. If you just look at the, the spectrum of men, there's about 10% of men who really have difficulty even coming. So for them to practice those techniques, it's very easy to actually try to ejaculate within a few minutes is, you know, very, very difficult. You know, I have one friend and, you know, he can take oral sex for six hours, you know, <laughs> so she kind of go, but his, his issue is, is very hard for him to come and he'd like to come sooner. Then you get about 60% of men who'd like to come later and, you know, 25% are quite happy with when they come. So, you know, we're all over the board, but if you're a guy who tends to come on the earlier side of things, you can cause a lot of irritation and infection and prostate swelling and pain to have blue balls and get all excited and then not come. So I always recommend if you're, you shouldn't never do any practice that's going to cause you to have blue balls. Those are interesting books and from cultures where many men actually had difficulty coming. And so then you can create a religion out of that, which is how to have sex and not come. So, but at the same time, I'm a big fan of getting aroused and turned on without too much focus on masturbating the man. Uh, I'm into masturbating the woman, but not the man. Uh, letting her come without a man coming is a very powerful thing. It's very much like... Um, uh, we were talking earlier about having the woman be in touch with her emotions and her feelings, and the man stays sturdy in a grounded listening state. And But then at a certain point, he's going to get emotional. And at that point where he gets emotional, I never made this point, I want to finish it, then you say to her, I hear you. And I hear you means no more talking. And it's very important that every man have that out, because when a woman starts going on and on and on, He'll start to get defensive. And once he gets defensive, she gets all stirred up again. And it just goes on and on and on because she's lost connection. She cannot feel connected with you when you're defensive. 
So when I start to notice I'm getting defensive, I just say to my wife, okay, I hear you. And that means I've done my very best. Uh, there's nothing more you can say. Whatever you've said is going to go in as much as anything's going to go in. And we're not going to continue talking about this. And that's it. And it's so wonderful. She knows that I'll go away. And, and what I do is I go do something to rebuild my testosterone. Because when men get defensive, they're feeling threatened. Cortisol levels are increasing. And in a man's body, as cortisol levels increase, at a certain point, an enzyme called aromatase gets produced and it turns his testosterone into estrogen. So whenever a man is afraid, defensive, angry, or hurt, his estrogen levels are rising. Same thing during sex. When a man is coming, that's when his estrogen levels are shooting up and his testosterone levels, because testosterone is converting into estrogen, and which gives you all that pleasure. Estrogen gives you all this pleasure and all this love. So it's learning to go slow by having you know, cuddling and stimulation. And then he starts noticing, if I go further, I'll get, I'll get too excited and have to come. At that point, you push your hands back and then you stimulate her and give her orgasm, give her climax. And that's incredibly satisfying to a man if he just gets that I'm going to have my big one on the seventh day. And you learn to just stay relaxed without going for the ejaculation every time. I'm a big fan of that. That's awesome. Yeah, I recently, I had a guest on named Eli Block, and he's a teacher and a proponent of something called orgasmic meditation, uh, which I did some training on and have practiced a few times, not, not with any regularity, but it basically involves a very specific method of clitoral stimulation in which the woman kind of has a continual uh, systemic orgasm for about 15 minutes and the guy doesn't even take his clothes off. There's absolutely no reciprocal, what's the word? Reciprocation Yeah, uh, yeah. to the man. And it's, I've told people about it and they kind of poo poo it. They're like, oh yeah, like how you're just, it's some excuse to like be sexual and you're trying to make it spiritual. But to me, it, it, it's pretty amazing and powerful because it's a true form of giving. And to me, that giving is a really inherently sort of masculine energy thing. It's very empowering to really give, and there's no expectation whatsoever. There's no commerce attached to that interaction. It's absolutely a one-way gift, <laughs> and it's pretty It's pretty cool. So I, I no, like I'm that. I'm totally into oming. Uh, they oh, call you know, okay, Omen. you know about oh, yeah. Omen, okay. I, yeah. to, I figured, like, why wouldn't when I? When I started, I was there, I was helping. I was saying teaching, I was a teacher there for a while. Oh, okay, cool. The same message, which is that just as women, when they're being owned, when they're being stimulated, they're learning how to just receive. And men are learning how to just give and to see that what they're giving is being received. Because that's the ultimate, that we men have to come back to our masculine, which is totally detached in giving. And the feminine is totally attached in receiving. If you look at the dynamic of polarity that we talked about earlier in the beginning of our conversation, women today are too far on their giving side. They're way on their male side, and they can't come back to receiving. They have a hard time to relax. They feel overwhelmed. They feel very busy. And the last thing they do is give themselves time for what they need. And ultimately, clitoral stimulation is pure pleasure. And why would a woman not want a guy to stimulate your clitoris? Well, it's that she's not willing to give herself what she needs. And so oming, you know, orgasmic meditation, in those days it was just 10 minutes. They've expanded it now to 15. I'm, I think 15, 10 is fine. 
But to do that on a regular basis is a way to experience sexual connection without him getting lost in his own need and without her getting lost in giving to him. There, Many women don't fully climax because they're so thinking about him and the energetic is he's thinking about him too, you know? <laughs> so what frees a woman to really learn how to receive and ride the waves of pleasure and have a full orgasm where she's satisfied is when all the attention is on her. And then when you do have sex, again, I recommend, generally speaking, nothing is always written in stone when it comes to sex, you know, it's, but it's make sure that she climaxes first and then he penetrates and has his orgasm inside of her. And she experiences receiving him double. One is he's giving her her orgasm and she's done the way women's bodies are is once they've had their climax, they can fully experience another climax while he's climaxing in her. So that's like the biggest thing for her. That's the best. That's yeah, that's yeah. the best. And it's, <laughs> that's easy, the best. it's easy to orchestrate. You totally. know, just give her climax and then totally. put it in. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's also like insurance against being a total failure if the man happens to climax a little bit faster than he might like. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a great insurance policy. <laughs> you been, don't feel like a total dick, so that that's but, helpful. But for the guys, for the guys that want to practice, and they are the guys, the sixty percent that come faster. So you you shouldn't have to be holding back this deepest primal instinct, which is to plant that seed. So you're just getting too excited. You're more in touch with, I think it has to do with, you're more in touch with your spiritual side, which is your more uh, emotional side, your feminine side. You have more estrogen. So what happens is you get all heated up. And when your testicles get heated up, they hang out your body because they're keeping them cool. Once your body heats up, it will kill the sperm. So your body is going to say, hey, we got to get that sperm out of there because we're heating up and we don't want it to die. So you're, if you hold back from ejaculating, you're going against this huge natural process. But if you see you're heating up, then you can cool down. Now, one of the things you can do, and I recommend it to guys, which is uh, there's all kinds of these little creams or sprays. Stay erect is one. Also, there's the condoms, you know, which have the lubrication in it. And they're just these little desensitizers. And you just spray the head of your penis, you know, 20 minutes before you have sex. And you can last as long as you want. And if you want to practice this, it becomes very, very easy to, to stroke and be inside of her without needing to come. And then the next day, all you're going to think about is sex, of course, because you got too close. So you just want to know there's the, the point of inevitability and you see it happening, it's coming. Let your body settle down, relax, and start over. Just start over. That's the whole key. Start over, start over, start over. And then say, okay, well, I can continue tomorrow. Thank you for that. the ultimate biohack there for men. I'm going to definitely link to that product in the show notes, as well as orgasmic meditation in the episode that I did on that. And I wanted to go back to the oming thing. You just reminded me um, when you were talking about that. The first time I tried it with uh, my girlfriend at the time after I had learned, it was so funny because after, I mean, she seemed to be enjoying it. Everything was cool. And then afterward, she was so perplexed. She was so confused because then she just got, you know, I'm like, cool. So just get dressed. That's it. And it was, it was amazing to see how a woman had been so conditioned to not having to like give something back. 
She couldn't even like compute to her that she didn't have to do anything for me or to me in exchange, which I thought was really cool. So um, for anyone listening, if you want to learn more about that practice, you can go back and listen to that episode. Wow, really good stuff. Okay, so in terms of male ejaculation and, and masturbation and pornography, I definitely want to cover that because I have a lot of male listeners and this is something that I know as guys, we don't tend to talk about this with women because there's some shame around it. But as men, we the men I hang with, we talk a lot about this because we're looking to evolve and become healthier and you know we're trying to get rid of any addictive habits that we have or anything like that. But I've noticed just in, in terms of like masturbation and just climax in general, and even even with a partner, that I kind of get a hangover from it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? What's happening hormonally? Like if I were to watch pornography or masturbate, it's pretty much guaranteed I'm going to be um, way less happy the next day. I might even be irritable, have a hard time focusing to the point where like I really do everything I can to avoid that. Why would that have a negative impact on a, on a guy? Well, other than just in the context of you know them being in a relationship with someone. Okay, so first thing is just to notice that that's very common. Okay, and that men when they masturbate, uh, they become depleted. Now, let's say you haven't masturbated in a week. You're generally speaking, you're not going to be depleted, uh, particularly if you masturbate without having to look at a video. A wet dream is the best, of course. But the, the you have your own creation of a fantasy, and part of what I learned to do if, if I wasn't having if I was out of town or something, and you know I travel quite a bit, and if I get horny and I'm out of town, I'm haven't had sex with my wife in six days, my body says you know you're going to burst if you don't do it, then I'm going to think back to the last time I had great sex with her, so I'm going to fantasize about her. Now, I could easily fantasize about a stranger. I could easily go on my iPad and see something and get all turned on. But what I'm going to do is generate it within myself rather than externally through a fantasy. Now, what happens is when you're stimulated through an external fantasy is a brain chemical called dopamine gets produced higher than in real life. Now, again, because in real life, when you touch somebody... When you have a real person there and you care about them, you know, if uh, you, there's a consideration and what am I going to do next and what are they going to think and how do I do this and I tried that before and, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on when you're actually making love with a real person, having sex with a real person and that stimulates other counter hormones to dopamine, serotonin levels get produced, GABA levels get produced. As I mentioned, oxytocin is a big one that gets produced whenever you touch and you have naked bodies touching together. Oxytocin is getting produced. And what that does is lowers your dopamine levels. It keeps your dopamine from going too high. Now, what is high dopamine? High dopamine is, you know, you've just shifted from 90 miles an hour to 110 and you're driving. And you've all had that experience of, wow, it's when you take cocaine. It's when you just have a, you know, ice cream the sugar and fat and ice cream will produce a huge surge of dopamine. Heroin is a big dopamine stimulator. and It comes from the root hero. It's a drug that makes you feel like hero. So what you're getting is higher than normal dopamine levels. Whenever dopamine levels go really, really high, the brain responds by what's called downregulation of dopamine receptors. So this is the sensitivity to dopamine. It's like if the music is really loud, 
then your ears start to close down so that normal sounds, you can't even hear them. You're now dependent on higher and higher sounds. If your pupils see bright light, they will start to close because it's too much and they'll close. And then you go into a room where there's not a lot of light and it's just all dark until your pupils open up again. So that's called desensitizing the dopamine in your brain. So now you're dependent upon higher levels of dopamine. So when you have danger, that can produce higher levels of dopamine. We talked about why kind of crazy relationships, the sex is really great, is there's this sense of, if I open my heart, I'll be rejected. There's danger. Or this person really isn't available to me, so there's danger. The potential of failure is there. This is someone I instinctively know I'll never be able to please. So there's danger of rejection and failure. So danger can stimulate higher levels of dopamine. So back to video, porn produces massive levels of dopamine because it doesn't have any of these other sort of human synergistic hormones to tamper it down to keep it from going so high, which then stimulates super high levels of testosterone. But then your testosterone to rise up is dependent upon these high levels of dopamine stimulation. So without that high dopamine stimulation, your testosterone levels just start getting lower and lower and lower. Wow. So you lose interest in real women. Wow. You just solved a major riddle. I can't can't wait to put this out, but I might even just send this recording to a couple of my friends because we talk about this stuff a lot. And I think I've observed, and I know so many guys have observed this sort of hangover effect from pornography. And it's just like, oh, no guys that I know or hang out with, we all have our moments where we you know, fall prey to it. But I think all of us would like to never even do it because it's just, it's got negative consequences. But what's always been weird is you could go like have a one night stand or have sex with someone that you don't care about. And maybe even that person's not even that great of a person and you're fine the next day and you don't have the same effect as just like quickly watching some pornography to just fall asleep and masturbate. And it has this like gross negative effect. And that that hormonal cascade and imbalance and um, everything you described just it, it makes it make perfect sense. And I think it it kind of has to do with if you look at our evolution, right? Like as hunter gatherers, we never would have been able to turn on a phone and and in fifteen minutes watch six hundred people having sexual <laughs> intercourse or whatever. Yeah. You know, just like I always just look at pornography and the like the addiction potential there is just it's so unnatural. And you just described sort of hormonally the imbalance that's created from that excess of stimuli that is just we're not wired to be able to handle it whereas you could have sex with a woman and and because there's a human element in the human touch there even if it's a meaningless and insignificant interaction with someone you still have the hormonal kind of balance there that's so fascinating it really clears up a lot of the mystery i think and you know and there's another level of the mystery which is the energetics of it is sex is a huge release of energy. And the more you love the person you're having sex with, the more that energy stays with you. Because in a non-sexual way, I think everybody could relate to this. If you have children and you love them and you give to your children and they're happy, you're happy. It's not like you gave anything away. You're giving to a part of yourself. In a sense, it's ultimate selfishness or oneness. But when I feel oneness with my partner, and that's this love, you feel this connection, then you release this energy, but it literally comes right back to you because you're giving it to someone that is part of you. And so there's an energetic loop. And 
she has to receive your energy for it to come back to you. That's the that's why sex in marriage can be unsatisfying for couples, even if they love each other. Uh, if a woman is not capable of letting her estrogen go up high, she can't come back to her female side, then she's not receptive. So if she can't receive his energy, then he doesn't get it back in a sense because you know he's putting his energy out there to this being who's one with him but it wasn't received. So you can also feel kind of empty and depleted if you have sex with someone and they don't receive you at all. So that's the whole dynamic of why you want to take the time to do the foreplay and do the oming, get women to where they can open up and receive through climax. And then you're fully received and you're feeling one with her. So all of your energy comes right back to you and you're charged up as a result of that sexual experience rather than with a stranger or with nobody. It just got released out of you. So you just depleted yourself of this energy, this sort of juice of life. And biologically, it's measurable. When you masturbate, your body does not make prolactin. And prolactin is this hormone that gives you the sense of uh, satisfaction, uh, that, ah, I did it. I'm complete. I accomplished something. I did something. And that's why... If you have prolactin that gets produced, you don't feel like you need to have sex again for a while because, okay, I did that. In a healthy way, it's like you eat a meal and you go, ah, I'm satisfied. And you don't think about food till it's time to eat again, as opposed to people who can't feel satisfied after a meal and they keep eating and feeling hungry and so forth. That's what this addiction to masturbation becomes. That's fantastic. And speaking of feeling fulfilled, uh, again, you know, just in my own life, I've noticed, I don't know if it's because I'm 46 or I'm working on myself spiritually, but in terms of having a connection with another person, I have found, and I think this is true for a lot of guys that I know, again, that, you know, there was a point in time where casual sex was was good and you could do that without, you know, as long as you were doing it in an ethical, honest way, you could do it without any real repercussions. And over time, I've noticed that um, casual sex has become uh, much less fulfilling and something that I'm not really interested in even doing. Um, and that if I do, if I do engage in sex with someone, uh, even if they're not necessarily an appropriate partner, I tend to start to have feelings for them. Like it's weird. I don't know if it's an age thing or if it's you know a hormonal thing or something. But guys I know that are around my age or in their late thirties even are like, yeah, I don't know. I'm not really the playing the field thing is not happening, and it's not really that awesome to just go out and get laid like you really I'm having this craving for something more more meaningful and I don't even want to say the scary word monogamy but even even like you know gearing more toward that and seeing that as a viable choice so um can men as they age is it just natural that you don't really want to have sex with someone you don't love or have a potential to love the answer is yes it's called maturity <laughs> uh it's also integrating the physical with the emotional and the spiritual and the mental. You become more of a whole person. You can't just cut off the rest of you to have the sexual experience. You want the whole, all of you. But you're more aware of all of you. You're more aware of your own emotional self, your more mental self, your values, and so forth. So you want something that you're going to resonate with that you can feel one with. Because <laughs> you don't want to just feel one with somebody who's, who's very not compatible with you on some energetic level. But th there's a 
another answer to your question, which is there, on a biological level, there's this natural shift that happens particularly noticeable every seven years in your life. Uh, there's a major shift in, in our hormones and our biology and our brain function. You know, like, at, you know, seven years old, we tend to start going to school at puberty. You know, your testosterone levels increase five to 20 times more. Girls' estrogen levels increase 10 times more. So there's, those are huge shifts. 21 used to be the time you'd leave home and go out. No, I don't know what it is. But, you know, there's sort of a manhood thing at 21. And 28 is a... Uh, a time where they found that that's when the prefrontal cortex completely develops. It's still developing. They can measure its development up to that time. And that's a kind of a time when you, when you no longer want to uh, follow anybody else, but you're your own person at that point. And that, a lot of divorces happen at 28 for that reason, because in the 20s, you're still learning about yourself. Ideally, by 28, you have the sense of self-reflection, and now you're capable of intimacy. Knowing yourself, you can share yourself. 35 is a level of maturity, 42, 49, 56. It goes on like that. So there's these shifts that take place. I wrote a whole book about those shifts. But biologically speaking, there's a journey of men to first develop their sense of self as a successful person, confidence, competence, and so forth in in certain areas. That increases your testosterone. Then as you hit midlife, around 40 or 50s midlife, whatever, as you're moving towards those zones, naturally your estrogen levels will start rising. So in America, we see an average at 35 men's testosterone levels start dropping every year. And that drop is because their estrogen levels are rising every year. Now, in my case, my estrogen levels have continued to rise, but my testosterone is the same, even a little higher. And that's because I've worked at the things that keep your testosterone up, whereas, and not letting the increase of estrogen, which is a normal thing to happen to men, which is as you get older, you have greater wisdom, you have greater connection with feelings, you have greater empathy you have greater uh, experiences in life that gives you greater self-reflection and learning. All of that is connecting with your female side. I see. So we have this male side that sort of shoots and says, okay, did it work or didn't work? And let's correct it if it didn't work. It's very uh, assertive and puts itself out there, sometimes acts without thinking, very independent, not dependent on others, not aware of its own priorities or needs. This is all maturity for us is connecting our male side with our female side. For women, maturity is connecting their female side to their male side without losing their female side. For us, it's developing the female side of us without losing the male side of us. And men today are losing, on average, not every man, but on average, men are losing their testosterone as they age and so by the time they get to their 60s, you know, there's men that want to retire. They just don't want to work anymore. Uh, and that's just a sign their testosterone is way down. Their health will go down. Their vitality go down. Their sex drive will go down. And it's a downward slope from there. And their estrogen levels are super high. So what we want to do is estrogen naturally rises with greater connection to empathy and feelings and awareness and love and, you know, willingness to cooperate and, uh, these are all good qualities, just as being uh, independent and detached and problem-solving and, and analytical. These are all good qualities of our male side. 
So, you know, that's a huge topic. I just want to mention that's the topic of my new book. It's coming out in 2017 called Beyond Mars and Venus. And that book is about these male qualities and female qualities and how we develop as men, we need to stay grounded in our masculine as the female side starts to come up and vice versa for women. They're way over their male side, how to stay grounded in their female side. So we have that balance. And that's what a soulmate relationship is, is kind of when you said you feel safe as a man, when you feel respected. And I point out that it's really feeling valued and appreciated that pumps up our testosterone. And if you're a a European king, and you look at the history of Europe, you'll see this massive amount of dysfunction and arrogance and ridiculous wars and abuse of people. And all that arrogance comes from getting respect that you didn't earn. If you give people respect and they haven't earned it, they become extremely dysfunctional. So earning something is to be appreciated. You do something, people appreciate you. Then if you're respected, you can handle that respect. Otherwise, you become very uh, dysfunctional. And that's why I say, women, you don't just give men respect. You first respect the men you appreciate first, but give them a chance to do things for you and practice learning how to appreciate what men have to offer. Now, I want to ask you another question. Can a woman have sex without falling in love? Is it possible for the modern woman to have an active sex life with multiple partners without getting emotionally involved and as a result getting hurt? Okay, so as a blanket statement, everybody's different. Okay, but I'm going to talk about the averages and my experience. And what's happening today is women go more to their male side, uh, which is testosterone-oriented. Many women are enjoying uh, uh, quickies. They they enjoy one-night stands. They want to just go out and have fun and power. It's, it's, a, it's a thrill of power uh, to be able to turn somebody on. I mean, they think that you can just show a little skin and you can do this and a guy's going to do this for you and do this for you. That increases your sense of power. And when women are on their male side, power is very fun. Uh, power is our masculine side. Love is our feminine side. And, and so they get lost on their male side. They can enjoy the sexual act. But then they start to experience, I'm not sleeping well, I'm not fulfilled in my life, I'm overwhelmed in my life, and I'm stressed in my life. And they start connecting with their female side, which says, I'm not happy with one night stands. As you were saying, as you're becoming more mature, you're more connected to your female wisdom, which is, I don't want to just waste my energy anymore. I want to build a relationship where there's love and where both people feel loved and appreciated, respected, and so forth. That's the goal in life. That's beautiful. That's real partnership. That's union. That's hard to create. But yes, women can enjoy the sexual pleasure without love until they connect back with their female side. And their female side is not interested in that at all. The female side is interested in relationship and love and intimacy and growing together. And so what I say to women And this is a real interesting response I get. But I say to women, if you're going to have a one-night stand, make sure that if he never calls you back, that you would be very happy. Because see, a lot of women, and this is, see, not all women are these really testosterone power women, but they're out there having one-night stands because they think that in order to get a man to love them, they have to give him sex. And so does she really want to have sex? No, What she wants is to have a relationship, which is why when men don't call back, women feel hurt. 
because they're looking for something more. Even though they say, oh yeah, I'll enjoy sex, but it's literally they're wanting something more. Every woman I've ever had sex with always wanted something more. And I had many one-night stands, and they were hurt by that. And I had to stop doing one-night stands because every woman was hurt by it because she would connect with me, and then she wanted more. And I was just being on my male side, having a fun time, having adventures, having new experiences, and so forth, and wasn't making any commitments at all. So it became very clear to me from my own experience, and as a therapist of 40 years, that's what I hear again and again and again. And I question women, once again, if it really is you're enjoying the moment, then be truthful to yourself. You're doing this for yourself. So if you actually have sex with a man, make sure you've already gotten everything you're looking forward to from him before you have sex. So you don't end up feeling like, now that we've had sex, you owe me more. Because if you feel after having sex, we've had sex, now I want more, you're going to push him away. And the potential for him to actually stay interested in you is less because you're needing more from him. You're expecting more from him because you did this act of sex. Fantastic. That's a great bow to put on that particular, <laughs> that particular question. Thank you for that. I'm going to ask you one more thing in direct relation to that. Does monogamy work and is it possible considering that it seems that we're maybe not uh, biologically uh, equipped <laughs> based on the rest of the animals that we're close to. You know, there's a lot, a lot of people with the whole um, sex at dawn crowd that's like, oh, well, you know, bonobos are, are not that way, so we can't be that way. And I have a feeling, uh, just based on my couple conversations with you, that you might say that even though we're not physically necessarily wired for that, that at a, a spiritual level that we can evolve to that, um, based on our preference to have a really deep and meaningful connection. So what, what's your current view on the monogamy issue? What you just said. Okay. 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 <laughs> I, can, I can elaborate a little bit. I know okay, we have sure. a limit of time here. Sure. But we're not monkeys. We have a monkey brain, and the monkey brain in me wants to fuck a lot of women. Uh, that's my monkey brain. But I'm not just a monkey brain. I also have a reptilian brain that wants to kill everybody. Uh, you know, it, it eat people up. Uh, I presently have a frivolous lawsuit against me and I have to go through all that time and energy. There's a part of me that wants to do some bad things to the lawyer. That's part of me, but I'm never going to act on that. I'm never going to articulate that to him. I'm going to behave like a gentleman. I'll have my lawyer. They'll do battle in court. You know, this is, I do it in a civilized way. So I'm not just my reptilian brain that wants revenge and wants to take and is selfish. I'm not just my monkey brain that just wants to have sex and, and attach and control and argue and yell and scream. All that stuff is monkey brain. I also have this prefrontal cortex, which can either go to sleep and let those parts of my brain control me, or it can be the leader and it can direct those parts of me. It can control my appetites. It can control my instinctive reactions to things. Not suppress, but control, which means I'm in charge. So I can choose the right foods to eat. I can choose you know, who I'm going to spend time with, what I'm going to say to them. I can choose how to respond. It's like when I, we talked before, when I'm listening to my wife. At a certain point, if I get defensive, I'm no longer in my prefrontal cortex. That's why I say, I hear you, conversation is over. 
because I'm no longer connected to that front part of my brain. This is biological. When we go into fight or flight, what happens is blood flow pulls away from the prefrontal cortex. It goes to the middle part of the brain where we have very little uh, ability to adapt or change or understand or feel compassion to another point of view. We have just our conditioning. We have just our instincts. And the whole sex at dawn thing is talking about the instinctive part of the brain. And different cultures, they talk about, you know, and how have those cultures flourished, by the way? And have they grown into a civilized civilization? Are they part of the world? You know, you take extreme cases where people have kind of bizarre sexual practices due to ignorance of what is possible. So we have this instinctive part of the brain. Now, what I that's my sex part. And so I'm fully sexually active, but I only direct that energy to where I love. And I only direct that energy to the person I love most, where the energy is going to always come back to me. But it's not a compromise. It's not giving up for me because I've learned how to sustain sexual ecstasy with one partner. That's the part of this monogamy thing is people have not figured out how to create a relationship where both people, a complaint-free relationship where both people are free, feel free in the presence of their partner, more free than with anybody else, free in the presence of their partner to be all of who they are so they can continue to grow. That's why relationship skills with Sex at Dawn has nothing to say about that at all. Is like you develop this soulmate relationship where your soul can come forth in a relationship. Then you can actually have this experience of growing ecstasy through sex in a marriage where you're not re- throwing your resources out and creating confusion in your life. You know, my energy's here, my energy's there. I mean, if I was in those ages where, you know, you could have many wives, I'd probably have many wives, but it'd be exhausting and there'd be no way I could give one as much as I give to my wife. And think about it. If you had a million dollars and you could one dollar and gave it to a million people, what difference did you make in the world? But if you have a million dollars and you give it to one person, what difference did you make? Huge difference. So when it comes as well to how women can grow, we talked about this before, is that women need safety. The ultimate safety you can give a woman is the assurance in her cells that she's not going to be abandoned and left for a younger woman who's hotter. And, you know, I remember 25 years into my marriage, my wife said, you know, John, you've given me the greatest gift any woman could ever want. And I said, what's that? And she says, I know no matter what I say or do, I can make you really angry, but you'll just stop talking. You'll walk away and you always come back and you're more loving I know there's nothing I can do to push you out of my life. That's the greatest gift. Deep inside of every woman, as they age, their power of beauty dissipates. Their power to attract dissipates. They're all aware of this. Are they going to be left alone? Are they going to invest themselves into a relationship where the man will stay with them? And that's our role is to learn how to find that power of commitment to provide that ultimate safety for a woman. And she's never going to feel safe if she doesn't have a sexual relationship with you that's fulfilling for you and for her. Ultimately, you could think it'd be fulfilling for him. But for modern men, it's not fulfilling for me unless it's also fulfilling for her, which is why we have to have really good sex practices, understanding in sex. But sex dies if you have a, a relationship where you feel like you're a failure, you can't make your partner happy, she feels like I'm not, he's not attending to my needs, I can't be myself, I don't feel safe. 
it kills the sex drive. And once the sex drive is gone, it's the juice that brought us together dissipates. And then the normal kind of problems just get worse and worse, or people just sort of surrender themselves to ignore it, avoid all the minefields, have a peaceful, comfortable relationship, which is the majority of people who stay married. They're not having great sex. And then you get people who say, you know what? I don't want to give up you know, my sense of aliveness. I'm divorcing. I'm going to go out and have sex. And I'm going to be with somebody who, who has no history with me, where I can be a new person and I can start again and start again. But there's something called forgiveness where we can let go of the past and move forward and stay in the same relationship as opposed to having to keep changing partners in order to start again, start again, start again. It's such a deeper level of growth when you can be with a person and they embrace you and see you the best you who you are and they love you. And you also bring that love into the physical body by having good sexual practice. John, you have provided such an immense value to me and to our listeners in this in this particular episode. I gotta say, man, I'm just I'm glued to my chair and I'm looking at the clock here. I'm going, wow, 146 hour and 46 minutes. I'm like, wow, I really thank you for your time and what a great um, topic to go out on the topic of monogamy because I know this is something that people are very confused about, especially us men. So thank you so much for all of the wisdom and for your time. Now, since you've been on before, I'm going to skip the final question because you've already answered it. I'm going to close with this. Where can we find you and your work? What's your latest book? I know you put out a book like every five minutes, it seems like you are a prolific and talented writer. What are you working on now that you want people to know about? Well, since a lot of your audience is men, I'll I'll mention one of my last books called Conscious Men. It's really a great book with lots of practice on how to rebuild testosterone. But my most exciting book is coming out in 2017 in January, and it's called uh, Beyond Mars and Venus, uh, New Relationship Skills for a Complex World. And I'm really taking much of the information of our interview today from that book, which is helping us to understand the hormonal imbalance that's going on that causes this kind of role reversal and how we can use our relationships to actually strengthen our masculinity as men as we grow in greater wisdom and empathy and compassion, and for women to strengthen their femininity as they continue to express their masculinity and power and assertiveness and so forth, but to stay grounded in their femininity, their capacity to to love and be happy. And some real practical tools are there and great insights that we've been talking about. So that's the book. I have a website, marsvenus.com, and anybody goes there, you know, I have lots of uh, blogs and yeah, every day there's a one-hour talk. As you can see, I have a lot to say. And it's called uh, John Gray Every Day. They can look for that. And there's a schedule every week of five shows for that week. And then there's uh, also the health food store. And we didn't talk anything about that. But I talk about the herbs like Tonkat Ali to help boost testosterone for men. The, the minerals, particularly lithium orotate, to help women create more oxytocin to respond sexually. I talk about some herbs that help to balance hormones for people, uh, different herbs that will help to balance blood sugar levels for lit energy. A lot of good stuff in there uh, to wake up the brain and experience flow, experience, you know, hack the brain to experience your full potential. 
Awesome, man. Thank you. We're gonna we're going to uh, link to all of those in the show notes. And I love your health food store and your site. You have uh, curated an amazing collection of stuff there. And I look forward to doing another episode where we can really go into nutrition, herb supplementation, and all that. But for now, I will let you sign off, John. And thank you so much again for joining us today. Real pleasure. Thank you. I don't know about you guys, but after that interview, I'm feeling like maybe celebrating the beginning of 2017 with some love making. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, seriously, though, what an informative and interesting conversation. I'm so grateful to be able to talk to people like John Gray. I just love that guy, man. He has got so much information. We just went, what, like an hour and 45 minutes? I could have kept going. He could have kept going. I don't know where you guys are at, but I was just eating that up so much life-changing information that we can really use to change the health of our relationships and our sexual relationships and relating to our body and the bodies of others and how we can all just get along, man. Remember Rodney King? Can't we all just get along? That's what I'm talking about. And I think if we're having better sex and, and healthier hormones, we'll probably all get along a lot better. So thank you so much for joining me on another episode. And I look forward to bringing you the next one. And remember, if you know someone that likes to have sex, that likes to be in love, that likes to have a roll in the hay once in a while, why don't you do yourself and them and me a favor and forward this episode to them. Yeah, share this episode. Click somewhere in front of you right now. Seriously, right now, just take a minute. The show's almost over and just go ping, ping. Send it out to a couple of the homies and help spread the word. This is the kind of message that the world really needs in this new year. And you, my friend, have the power at your fingertips to bring this message forward. I want to remind you to get over to humancharger.com forward slash Luke to check out this amazing piece of biohacking technology. Use the code STORY20 to save 20% off your order at humancharger.com forward slash Luke. Luke.